0: Eye doctor, I'm going to tell you just some personal grievances I have. I have grievances with an eye doctor. Okay, uh, no, I do not like going to the eye doctor. Anybody just kind of like stress out? I got one person raising their hand. Here's, I got a couple of people. I love if you're an eye doctor. I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I get kind of nervous and anxious when I go to the eye doctor. I can speak in front of a thousand people and not, not even get anxious or nervous then, but something about walking into that room, sitting down in that chair, and you, for 10 minutes you're just waiting there, and I find myself, because of my fear of man, right, like I, I don't want to let the eye doctor down. Like I have control over my vision. I, I don't, but in my mind I think if I don't nail this 2020 vision, all these letters back there, like, Cody's been with me, and I'm like, hey, what's that last line say? I'm trying to memorize the, the thing on the back wall, all the, the letters, and I, I'm, I'm nervous that the eye doctor is going to, like, be disappointed in me, that I haven't been doing what I should be doing and taking care of my eyes. Or the one that really gets me is better one or better two. Like, what is that, all right? Because if I'm being honest, maybe this is just me. They all look the same, All of them look the same. And so the eye doctor, you know, he's like, all right, Mr. Weaver, uh, better at one or better two. And like in my mind, again, I feel like I'm going to let the dude down. And I'm sitting there thinking, they look the same. I don't know, man. They look the same. Well, can you tell me which one's supposed to look better? Uh, Maybe I'm relating to some or not, uh, maybe not all of y'all. But for me, uh, I, I get a little worked up. Better one or better two because they look the same to me. And I'm frustrated and I, I look at that and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know which one am I supposed to pick. They all look the same. Family, there ought to be such a difference in the way we live our lives as believers to where no one questions. Better one or better two. It should look differently differently. Everything about us, how we live, how we speak, how we work, how we treat one another, how we love one another and parent and serve one another should totally, radically look different than the world. There should be zero questions how we live our life is, is that person a believer? Are they marked by the spirit of God? Let's look at our text this morning. We're going to see that play out from Paul. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to be starting. He says, This therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They beca- became callous. And they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Therefore, therefore, so far in chapter 4, as we've picked back up two weeks ago, right into chapter 4, we've seen that we are to walk worthy of the calling that you, Christian, have received. And Paul lines that out, as we saw two weeks ago, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, with bearing with one another in love, keeping the unity that's found in Christ. That's key. That's found in Christ. And Christian, brother and sister, when we do that, it creates this culture of grace, this grace culture that we just prayed about that this would be our ethos of Grace Church Alita, where people would walk in and they would feel and experience the grace of God to them in their lives, where we would respond to one another with patience and prayer and gentleness, pointing one another to Jesus, serving each other, a culture, family of church, our culture of worship and welcome with the one who welcomes us, right? Like that, that should be... The spirit that we have, that should be what, what breathes out of us because of who Christ is breathing into us. And so we saw that two weeks ago, and then from there, Paul moved us along and to continue how we are to walk that out. What does that look like? And he gets a little more practical. Last week, he encouraged us, we saw that we are walking headlong into our gifting. Now, each of us, as a Christian brother and sister, have been uniquely gifted With spiritual gifts. And we do that, we we walk headlong into those gifts by what? By delighting first in the gift giver, the ultimate gift, Christ Jesus, that was given to us. And as we delight in the gift giver, in the absolute perfect gift, Jesus, we begin to experience the Spirit growing in us as a body, as we use those gifts for his glory and our good walking this out day by day. As we do that, that begins to overflow into every area of our life that we talked about last week, that we would be this family that's always growing into maturity, as Paul says, to look more like who? Jesus, not the world, to look more like Jesus. So now, Paul, we pick up, and he continues on with unpacking this growing in maturity, in our text, we see this, the marks of this, this new you, this new race. Remember back to chapter 2 that he's talked about. And he begins by presenting us what this life should not look like. What does he say? You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In this context... Now, remember, he's, talked, uh, he's writing a letter to Christian Jews and Gentiles. So there's this ethnicity that he's writing to when it comes to Gentiles. But here, he's specifically describing the word Gentile is not to an, an ethnicity. It is to those who are without Christ. He's writing to those who are without Christ. He says you should no longer walk as those Gentiles, as those who are without Christ. He's saying, listen up. If you're in Christ, if you're going to walk worthy of this calling that you've received from him, then your life must look different. It has to look different. And I feel like I keep saying this over and over every week, like Paul just one one after another, just one thing after another. I say the same thing that our life must look different. But this life that Jesus gives us, found in the Son, the one where you've been given this new identity, this new race that Jesus Christ has created, it's radically countercultural. You no longer live for your kingdom, right? You no longer live for what Matt Weaver wants. This, this kingdom is colliding, your kingdom is colliding with the kingdom of God. Your pride and your heart meets head on with a heart of humility from Jesus. You're no longer living for your kingdom. Before Christ, whether you were 8 or 88, when you received Jesus, when he saved you, you were living in darkness. I, from birth until age 8, was living in darkness. I was rebelling against a holy God. Before Christ, everything about us, folks... Everything about us, all of our fleshly desires, your heart, all of your feelings, the way that you thought about things, how we spoke before Jesus, our actions, how we worked, what we gained in the eyes of the world. Or to be even more direct, as Paul, and graphic here, says, listen to what Paul says in his letter to the church in Galatia. We were living in a life of darkness. This is what he says in Galatians. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What your sinful nature craves. Before Christ, this is what your sinful nature craved. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The results have come in. And what does Paul say? When you follow your evil desires, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty descriptive. How about one more? Paul to Romans in chapter 1 regarding living for the kingdom of yourself before Christ, living for the kingdom of yourself, says this, instead, their thinking became worthless. Like some, these are, This is harsh. Like, when we look at this, this is, this is harsh, and it's supposed to be, because we're supposed to live differently. Yeah. Instead, their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts, they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Hear this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So this this kingdom that Paul's going against, this kingdom of self is one that promises, hear this, it promises freedom. Kingdom of yourself promises freedom, but it delivers bondage over and over again. This kingdom of yourself is, in the moment, seems so rich and powerful, but anytime you exchange the glory of God for the glory of self, you will end up broken and busted and poor and weak every time. What seems good is not going to end good. This kingdom of self will chew you up and spit you out over and over and over again. And as Paul says, it will always lead to death. That's what Paul's saying here, family. He's trying to grab their attention. He's trying to remind them that this isn't the way of God. Paul graphically lays before them the results of living in your own kingdom to the church In our letter, Ephesians, he says this, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds. They've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Do you hear the hopelessness there? Like this isn't just Matt Weaver's words. This is the words of God himself. Do you hear the hopelessness? Can you you imagine that darkness? Let me give you just just kind of a, a play here. Imagine being a sailor on a boat and you're setting sail by yourself. Here we go, out into the middle of the ocean. Things seem great. Introverts are like, yeah, that's what I want. Uh, Yes, please, more of just myself. But the winds and the waves, as you set sail, they keep pushing you further and further out to sea. But you have no idea where you're at because it's absolute darkness. There's no lighthouse to guide you. You're by yourself. Nobody else on the water. No other source of light or safety. No soul. Out there with you, you're fighting aimlessly to go in a direction that you have no idea where it's going to take you because you can't see. You're just floating out there wherever the winds and the waves take you. And at some point, you're going to just have to give up because your own strength's not going to be enough. You're going to grow tired and cold. You're going to be calloused from all of the rowing going against the wind that you don't even know where you're at eventually, you're going to give yourself over to the sea. But can I give you some good news this morning? There's a lot of bad news that we just talked about, who we were before Christ. But can I give you some good news? And that's this. The beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't leave you there. He doesn't leave you on this boat in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Hear this truth this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, would we stop suppressing this truth in the grace of who Jesus is any longer? Don't live excluded from this life of God any longer. The truth is, every one of us are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. So take heart of this this morning. Take heart and yield to what Paul is saying. God can transform and save anyone. This is the heart of our Savior. If you find yourself on that raft in the middle of nowhere and it's dark and you don't know what's happening and you're tired and you just want to throw in the towel, the Lord God Jesus himself can save anyone. You're never too far gone. This is the heart of our Savior. Christ shed his blood for you. He died the death that you and I deserve. And as Michael Reeves says so beautifully, there's more power in Christ's blood than all of your sin. This is why Paul boasts of the grace that's been lavished. He can't get over this. He knows that this was him before Jesus met him on the road. Before Jesus saved him, he was the chief of sinners. And at the heart of our Savior, Jesus takes dead people and he makes them alive. From the beginning, God has pursued their hearts. The hearts of his wondering, rebellious, idolatrous people. Like that's what he's doing in the hearts of the Ephesians here. He's using Paul to write this letter who were once far off, who were once alienated from God and from one another. And Christ tore down the wall of hostility, not just between Jew and Gentile, but between us and God. And he's provided us the way to this new life, a life that's marked now by him, a life that looks different, a life that Paul keeps reminding them of. And family, he's still in the same business today. Like I thank God I'm not who I once was. Yeah. Thank God that there are men and women in this room who were once far off, enemies of God, who are now children of God, co-heirs with Jesus, and he keeps pursuing and saving and loving and lavishing his grace on dead people because that's his mission. He saves sinners alike. So if you're the far one off today, may your eyes be open to the glorious truth in this grace that's offered in Christ Jesus. Truly, would you just rest in who Jesus is and what he has done? Would you confess this morning of your need for a savior? As the word says, repent from that. That means turn from this kingdom of self and turn to this kingdom of Jesus and says, say, I'm all in. Because of your grace, Jesus, you've saved me and I'm all in on living for you. Confess, repent, cry out to him. Let him take your cold, dead, calloused heart and let him give you a new one today. I beg you, not for me, but for you so that you can step into this new life that he's promised. Now, family, this... This is an exhortation here. This is is Paul, a passionate plea, a call for them, for the Ephesians, but it's also a call for us, brother and sister, to devote our lives to a Savior, Christ Jesus, to walk with Christ, to live worthy, as we've seen over and over again, to live worthy of this calling. It's a call for each of us to stop flirting with sin. Stop flirting with it. Nowhere does it say in the Bibles, yeah, hey, walk that fine line, flirt a little bit with sin, life's gonna be great, you'll be fine. No, sin leads to death. This plea is not just for the church of Ephesus, it is for us today. It says, stop flirting with the ways and walking as the Gentiles do, as pagans do. Live a life worthy of the calling. Practically speaking, G.K. Beale says this. He says, we become what we worship. When we walk worthy of the calling that we have in Christ, when we worship Jesus for who he is and what he has done, then guess what? We're going to look more like Jesus. Everything about us. And so it is when we walk as Gentiles, as pagans. We're actively committing idolatry. Our hearts are worshiping creation instead of creator. We're being conformed to the world and all of its twistedness. And here's why that matters, Christian, to you today. Because your worship and your affections right now, in this very moment today, the things that you will worship, I know the Cowboys play at 530, I get it, but the things that we worship, that we pour our lives out for, they're all pointing to a future trajectory. Your worship is either aimed at your own ruin, everything that the world tells you that is worthy of your worship and affections, they will all leave you empty inside, always wanting more, never satisfied. Or, or your worship is aimed, as Paul says, growing into maturity and looking more like Christ Jesus. You are becoming what you worship. This growing in maturity, this looking more like Jesus, less like the world that we live in, it's known as sanctification. Kiddos, hopefully I haven't lost you. This big word, this theological word, sanctification, what this means is God's desire for us is to grow in knowing and loving him. That's what sanctification is. God's desire for you, Christian brother and sister, to grow in knowing and loving him. It's us growing as believers where we learn how to graciously redirect. We're always worshiping. just a matter of what are you worshiping or who. We're always worshiping. So it's growing as believers where we learn to graciously redirect our worship and our affections away from the world and towards God. Or as Paul says, we all with unveiled faces in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So with unveiled faces, we're all looking as if we're looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into that. And so as Paul does so well, he doesn't leave us hanging, right? Like he roots everything back to being in Christ. This whole letter is about being united and rooted and found Founded in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 20. Our last section together. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted. By deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self. The one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth so what is paul saying here he's saying as children of light those christians who have been given new hearts who jesus has saved you know him you've heard about him you've heard his voice you've heard his teaching and you know that christ jesus is the truth and because of that it's time to take off your former way of life Remember, back at the beginning, it should look different. We are no longer to live for our kingdom. Instead, we're to live for what? For the kingdom of Jesus. No longer to be marked by the things of this world. We are growing and knowing and loving him. And this means we ought to look far different than the world around us. Paul says, no longer walk as you used to. Whereas now, he lays it out. In all humility, patience, love, gentleness, bearing with one another. Don't do this. Don't walk as they once did, as you once did. Don't be hopelessly confused. Don't be full of darkness. Don't be wandering far from the life of God that He gives. Don't be closed mindedness. Don't be hardened, have hardened hearts towards Him. Don't have no sense of shame. Don't live for lustful pleasure and knowingly and willingly, even eagerly practicing every kind of impurity. Don't do that. Don't do that. Run from it. Flee from that. Remove yourself from the old way. That's not how you learned Christ Jesus. Remember the calling that you've received from him where we will no longer flirt with sin, but instead by the power of the spirit, we're going to put sin to death. Now, very practically speaking, how do we do this? Because I know you, and I know me, and today, if you you leave here, you're going to be amped up. Again, I know the Cowboys play at 530. Chances are, over and over again, I love the Cowboys, but you're going to have to continually remind yourself, take off the old and put on the new, because you're going to get frustrated in that game. Your anger is going to speak loudly in that game. You might even throw something at your TV in that game. I know us, I know you, and I also know that as good as you live this out today, that Monday's coming. I know what tomorrow is going to look like for you. Whether you're an empty nester and you have the same schedule every day or you've got three screaming kids at 6.15 every morning that you're trying to get ready for school and it's chaos and it's loud and you will have a chance to take off the old and put on the new every single day. Day. I know Mondays coming, and I know Satan prowls around like a lion, waiting to devour each and every one of us, to call you back, to pull you back into this old life, how you used to handle stress, how you used to handle anxiety, how you used to, to handle depression, how you used to just have outbursts of anger towards your kids. Browse around. So what do we do with this? Well, Paul says very clear, we take off the old self, your former way, and you put on the the new self. Brighton is our six-year-old, and um, if you have a six-year-old daughter, maybe she's like this, but Brighton loves clothes. Brighton loves to change outfits multiple times a day. Yep, see, I know, I know we had some... Uh, Brighton changes outfits like six to 12 times a day. That's an average, all right? Cody, I think all of our laundry that we do for Brighton is just clean clothes that she put on, wore, went out to get the mail, came back in. That was her mailbox outfit. And then she changed, she took that off, and she put on a different outfit. She's constantly, literally, constantly taking off old clothes to put on new clothes, so it is in our daily fight to live a life worthy of this calling. It's not just a a one time, a one stop, if you will, where you're like, okay, I'm saved, so therefore I have arrived. No more sin for me. No, it's constantly taking off the old and putting on the new. It's a daily call, Christian, to come and die to yourselves. And if you're like me, I find myself regularly having to take off the old self. I'm constantly fighting pride. I'm regularly fighting anger towards uh, people who disrupt my comfort or my control. I'm I'm constantly uh, maybe fighting selfishness or lust and I I have to clothe myself every day over and over and over again with this new life, a life of grace and mercy and patience and gentleness and loving and bearing with one another, humble and kind and fighting for joy and peace. Christian, I wish I could tell you that it's a one-time deal, it's a new year, and it's a new year, new you. That's not what it is in the Christian faith. It might be a new year, but it's still the same you, who will constantly have to put off the old and put on the new. It's a new life, same me, broken and busted, however, covered and lavished by God's grace. Been lavished on me. So daily we grow to look more like Christ. And I think sometimes we get frustrated. If you're a Christian in here, you've probably been frustrated. Why do I keep struggling with the same sin? Sanctification is a long game. Discipleship in your life with Christ is a long game. It's not a microwave faith where you just say, 30 seconds, bump, boom, I'm done. No, it's every day fighting sin so that we look more and more like Jesus, but don't beat yourself up either, don't beat yourself up, Christian, Christ was beaten for you, and maybe you need to hear this today, give yourself some grace, but just breathe that in for just a second, think about this, give yourself some grace, and praise God that you're not who you used to be. I can look around, the the brothers and sisters in here that I know that are Christians, I can look around and I can agree, even in the short span, that you're not who you used to be. Praise God for that. For the little, small steps. Maybe it's two forward and one back. You're still going forward. You're playing the long game. David Pallison says it best. He says, sanctification is a journey, not a destination. The real key is the direction that you're heading, not the distance you've traveled or the place that you've reached. Breathe that in, his goodness and his grace to you in, his, in your life, and play the long game. One day at a time. One, It might even just need to start with one decision at a time. Lord, in these next five minutes, help me to take off my old and put on the new so that I can look more like you. Lord, as I go into this meeting today, help me to take off the old. I want... I know I'm gonna fight pride and I know my boss is gonna say something and it's gonna rub me the wrong way. Help me to take off that old and put on the new. God, I know as I walk in from a busy 12-hour day and I'm tired and I'm frustrated, my kids are gonna go crazy and and my wife is frustrated that I had to work late, I'm gonna walk in, help me, Lord Jesus, to take off the old and to put on the new. Every single day we do that so that we look more like Jesus, so that our neighbors say, there's something different about you so that people at our school kids say there's something different about you. So our coworkers say, man, there's something different about you. You're you're not handling that how you used to. Praise God. Taking off the old and putting on the new. It is a continue continuing cycle of rinse and repeat. Growing to look more like Jesus. And can I just say that that's what the world needs to see? They don't need to see these perfect Christians who have all of their stuff together because that's false. I know you. You know me. Busted, broken. But his grace has been lavished on us. What the world needs to see is real people who have struggles but who don't live in the old self as Gentiles do but they walk worthy of the calling that Christ has called them to. Day by day. Put off the old. Renewed in the spirit of our minds which means this is work. In closing, just thinking practically like it's work to do this. We're not working for our faith. We're not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation in sanctification. We're growing more to look like Jesus, which means we need to spend time with Jesus. Not in a legalistic view of like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I can't do this, make sure I don't cuss, I can't drink, I can't do this. All of these long lists of do's and don'ts. No, it's commune with Jesus. The more time I spend with Cody, the more I love her. When we were dating, like if I, as Craig said a couple of weeks ago, the more time that we spend with those that we love, the more time we just grow to love them. The more time I spend with my children, the more they grow to love me and they want to be with daddy and I want to be with them. The more time you spend with your father in heaven, the more you're going to want to be like him. You want, you want to be patient the more you can actually just breathe in his grace and his patience in your own life, the more that you can give that to other people in your life. We have everything we need for life and godliness, as Paul says. The disciplines of the faith, reading and communing with him, singing songs to him, lamenting, grieving, taking your depression to him, spending time in the word, spending time in community, corporately, Sundays, being together. Christianity, family, is about knowing a living person and his name is Jesus Christ. And the more you know and love and grow to be like him, the more the world sees a different person. It sees a radical change in your life. They don't even see you. They see the grace of God to sinners and sufferers. Let's pray. Father, I uh, I thank you for gift of new life I thank you that uh, I feel like we could spend days upon this just thinking about taking off the old putting on the new but I just want to stop and I just want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy the fact that you didn't leave us on that raft in the dark beaten by the waves of this world the fact that even if, if that was us on that raft even if we became calloused towards you, grew angry at you, frustrated in the season that we find ourselves in, mad, outcast, distraught, I just thank you that you don't leave us there, even in those moments you're pursuing. And I believe that this, in this very room that there are folks who feel not seen by you, not heard by you, they're frustrated with their circumstances. They don't know how to, how, to, how to turn to you. They want to. They've maybe tried a different religion, maybe tried a different process. The beauty of the gospel is that we get to know a living person, and his name is Jesus. And so, Jesus, make yourself known to these people today. I beg you, in your still, small voice, Show up in this very moment and be present with your children. We need you. We need you, Lord, every day. We need to be washed and rinsed in your grace so that we can take off constantly our old wardrobe, the clothes that we used to wear, the kingdom that we used to serve and that we can put on these new clothes so that we can look more like you. Draw near to us, Lord. Help us. Help us to look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.